morning, if you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We'll start there as we enter into this part of our worship where we study from the Bible. Matthew chapter 5 is where we will be. Good to see you this morning. We have visitors. Thank you for being here. Always want you to feel welcome. We're happy to see you. Like to get to know you better. We'd like to encourage you to stick around for a minute so we can talk with you after the services are complete. Thank you for being here. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 is where I want to read to begin with. Matthew 5 and verse 6. The text says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. Hunger is a picture, a metaphor for a desire or a passion or an enthusiasm, a drive. And here that drive, that hunger is not turned towards self-preservation about being hungry for food. It is instead turned to righteousness. And it raises the question, how hungry are you? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His food is to do the will of God. It is what he hungers for. And it raises the question, what do you hunger for? Paul writes, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Zeal and fervor are synonyms. They have to do with what we would call enthusiasm. It is a word that means to stir up or to excite or to boil over. There are just certain things that make us passionate and zealous and fervent. And Paul says, that's how you serve the Lord. You be fervent in spirit. Don't get lazy with regard to your zeal. Paul says he wants us to stay hungry. So I want to think about that for just a few minutes this morning. How can we stay hungry? Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Paul says, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. But the truth is, sometimes that level of passion that we have is hard to maintain. I think we observe that in all areas of our lives, don't we? We start out with a lot of energy. Maybe it's a new job. And you get that new job, and the first day, you're all about it. You're interested, you're focused, first week, go great, first month. But then in time, what happens? Well, it becomes a drudgery. And you keep going because you have to. Or maybe you get married, and in those first weeks or months or years of marriage, things are exciting and new and fresh, but over time, slowly that passion just kind of begins to fade into a kind of normalcy. Or maybe you want to make a change in your life, and so, you know, here comes January. We're getting close to January again, by the way. Surprises if you you look at the calendar, but here comes January. You say, okay, I want to make some changes. Want to lose some weight, want to get in the gym. Want to, for me, it's always, I want to learn a foreign language. You know, we always have these things we want to do. And so we'll get after it for those first couple of weeks of January. And then what happens? Well, then February comes and March comes. And all of a sudden, we've forgotten what we started. It is hard to maintain that passion. And it seems to me particularly true with spiritual things. We have a drive and a hunger to serve the Lord and to do the things of God. Usually, that's why we began. That's why we got in the water. That's why we started a relationship with Jesus. We were hungry. And yet it is hard to maintain the hunger. And I want to encourage us to stay hungry from Scripture this morning. Now, first of all, I want to answer the question, why do we struggle to stay hungry? What is it about us that makes us have a hard time, particularly in spiritual things, maintaining our focus and enthusiasm and energy? First thing I want to say about that is we struggle to stay hungry because we get relief. Very often, our hunger is born out of a crisis, out of a desperate situation. We know we need something else. Things are too much for us. And so we reach out to God. We ask for help. And then when the crisis passes, the hunger passes. You know, after all, we don't need it 
anymore. Go with me over to Hebrews 10. I'll show you an example of that in Hebrews chapter 10. There is a unique passion that comes, a unique hunger, a unique enthusiasm that comes when we have a deep need. And yet when that need is resolved, sometimes we struggle to maintain the hunger. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read beginning in verse 32. Hebrews 10 and verse 32, he writes, But recall the former days, Hebrews 10, 32, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now notice what he talks about. He says the Hebrews in a past time had had a deep connection to God and had endured a hard struggle. They reached out. They accepted the plundering of their property. They were mistreated and they took that abuse and they took it in faith. They did well. They were hungry because they were in a desperate situation. But now things are different. And the implication of the whole letter to the Hebrews is that they're considering on some level in some way retreating from the faith that they've already claimed. And so he says a little further in Hebrews 10, down in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Part of what Hebrews is is a letter saying, don't lose your passion. Don't quit. Don't abandon Jesus. But that's what we tend to do. You know, when the crisis passes and we get relief, it's hard to stay hungry. That's what happens to Pharaoh. In the moment when the plagues hit Pharaoh, Pharaoh is very passionate. He wants to talk about God and talk to God. He has Moses, pray for me. He rushes them in. Hey, do it, do it, do it. Come on, let's get rid of these frogs. But then when the frogs go, what happens? Back to same old Pharaoh. Now he's thinking politically again. He's not hungry. He's not concerned. He's saying, no, I'm not going to let you go. You know, Pharaoh even does this where after the firstborn are killed and he lets the people go, what does he do? He changes his mind and goes after them with the army. That's what happens with the the Red Sea event. This is what happens to Israel. You remember they endure such difficulty in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years, and then they get into the promised land, and God is concerned. When you get into the promised land, you're going to get relief. You're going to get comfortable, and you're not going to be passionate about serving me anymore. Once things are resolved in your physical situation, you're going to reach problems in your spiritual situation. And so Moses warns them in Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12, when the Lord your God brings you into the land with great and good cities that you do not build and houses full of all good things that you do not fill and cisterns that you do not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you do not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget about the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There is just something about you're going to get full. You're going to get happy. It's just different when you put your feet up in the house than when you're living in a tent in the desert. And it's harder to maintain your passion and enthusiasm, your hunger, when you have what you need. It's what happens to Israel in the time of the judges. You remember in the time of the judges, they will abandon God, and then God will send some kind of oppression on them. And then they will cry out. Then they realize, oh yeah, we do need God. And yet the cycle keeps repeating. Once they have the relief they need, they go back to worshiping idols. So here's what we learn from that. We learn that we are hungrier and more passionate and more enthusiastic and more prayerful and more thankful when we are in a crisis. Our challenge is to learn to stay hungry when the crisis 
has passed. And frankly, this is the battle of American Christianity. How is it that we can maintain our sense of spiritual need in the midst of great physical prosperity? Because when we get relief, we struggle to stay hungry. Second, uh, we struggle to stay hungry because we get proud. You know, very often that enthusiasm, that hunger, it drives us to achieve something. We want to accomplish. And so when we get those accomplishments and we do get what we're seeking, well, we grow proud about it. We have a taste of success, and with that taste, we lose our hunger. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26. I believe that that's exactly what happens to Isaiah that we read about here in 2 Chronicles 26. So Isaiah is probably not a king we're that familiar with. 2 Chronicles 26 is where we're going. But Isaiah, Scripture tells us, set himself to seek Jehovah his God. He had a great teacher, a man named Zechariah, who taught him about the fear of God. He evidently was a pretty good administrator. He made Judah strong. He became an impressive king in Judah. And yet look at what it says about Isaiah. 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 15. It says, In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and corners to shoot arrows and great stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Isaiah and said to him, It is not for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Isaiah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Wow, there's a lot in that story, right? Fascinating story. Thinks he'll go in and offer incense. But the, the text makes it clear that there is a connection between Uzziah's accomplishments, in verse 15, and his fame, And in verse 16, his pride. It says, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. So you see the connection. The connection is, we start out with hunger, and the hunger is to achieve. And the hunger is to do great things. Probably, for Isaiah, it's even doing great things for his God. And yet, when he accomplishes those great things, he begins to think more about himself than about God. And he begins to say, look at what I've done. Look at how many people are praising me. Maybe I know better than some other people. Maybe I'm just particularly gifted. Maybe I'm just really good. And he begins to maybe even read his own press clippings, as we say. And he becomes proud. And in that pride, he loses his hunger. The hunger he had in the beginning to seek the Lord. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to get proud. And in our pride, we lose our hunger. So, for example, if we begin and we say, you know what, I really want to get to learn about God. We become a Christian and we say, I don't know anything about the Bible. Let me read the Bible. Let me focus on the Bible. And so as we grow and as we learn and as we become conversant in the things of God, we we become proud. I mean, think about how much I know. Nobody can tell me anything. I know what it is to be a Christian. I know what that means. And suddenly we become proud and in our pride we lose our hunger 
There's no longer that edge that says, I don't know enough. Let me go learn more. Let me focus on this. Let me be enthusiastic about this. And instead we grow proud like Isaiah. So we know we are hungrier and more passionate and more enthusiastic when we have accomplished less. And there's an irony in that. Yet the very things we accomplish push us to quit pushing. So we achieve it and we lose our hunger. We also struggle to stay hungry because we get distracted. You know, when we're hungry, there's that singular focus. Even hunger, physical hunger is like that, right? If you get really hungry, you're not going to be able to think about anything else. Well, that's true with our spiritual hunger, our enthusiasm, our drive, our passion. It has a direction to it and a focus to it. And yet, very often, as time passes... As we get a lot of different things, we call them all priorities, even though we can't have that many priorities, or else none of them are priorities, but but we begin to focus so much on so many things that we lose our hunger. Go with me to 1 Kings 11. I think you'll see that here. 1 Kings 11. This is another king. He is probably more familiar to us than Isaiah. 1 Kings 11 and verse 1. (coughs) Excuse me. 1 Kings 11 and verse 1 says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. 1 Kings 11, 2. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So this is what happens to Solomon. You know, earlier in his life, Solomon is focused on Jehovah God. Absolute focus. When he's building the temple, when he's saying that prayer, uh, ask what I shall give you, and he, he asks for wisdom, he is an incredible servant of Jehovah. Yet here, what happens? It's not that he's no longer serving Jehovah. It's that he's serving Jehovah and a whole bunch of other gods. His heart is turned away, is what the text says. He gets, we would say, distracted, and he loses his hunger. Please understand, that doesn't mean he quits worshiping God. It just means there are so many other things that God only gets a part of his heart and a part of his passion. He's not hungry anymore. Distraction. Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower, the thorny ground that is the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things that come in and choke the word and it's unfruitful because we get distracted. We can only passionately pursue so many things. And when we keep adding things to the list, do you have this problem too? How many irons do you have in the fire? Because I've got a lot. And you keep adding things to the list and you add them and you add them and they all look like good things. But eventually your focus is so distracted that you end up not passionately pursuing any of them. And so we lose our hunger because our hunger is spread out among so many things. And that is why Jesus tells us, we talked about in our Bible class this morning, to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. We struggle to stay hungry, fourth, because we get tired. We talked a few weeks ago about compassion fatigue, the idea of growing weary and doing good. And I want to show you a real life example of that somebody who lost his hunger as he got older 
and got tired. It's in 2 Chronicles 16. 2 Chronicles 16. I know we're doing some work in the kings here. I think the kings show us some good examples of some changes that happen in the passion in their lives. 2 Chronicles 16. Sometimes it's just difficult to stay hungry through everything that goes on in life. You know, we get older and we get tired. And sometimes there's a lot of disappointments that tend to stack up as we get older. Sometimes we worry that our efforts are pointless. You know, it didn't make any difference what I did. I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And so we just get tired. And in our weariness, we're no longer passionate like we used to be. I think that's what happens to King Asa here in 2 Chronicles 16. You see, Asa was an awesome king for most of his life. Asa was the kind of king who was always taking down the idol altars and the pillars that had other gods. He was the one who praised this awesome battlefield prayer, God, we don't know what to do, but you know, come help us and bless us. He repairs the altar, he renews the kingdom, and yet, look in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. This is when Hanani the seer comes to confront him about making an alliance with Assyria. It says in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. So we're talking about the 36th year of his reign, the 39th year of his reign. Asa's been at this for a long time. He is a veteran. And we could talk about, well, why, why does Asa act this way? I mean, why does he get so mad at the seer? I think there's probably some pride to it. You know, the prophet comes to him and challenges him. And Asa's saying, man, who are you? Don't you know I'm the king? Don't you know I know what I'm doing? And so he inflicts cruelty on the prophet and then on the people. And then when he gets sick and has disease in his feet, he doesn't seek the Lord. And you might ask, well, well where does that all come from? You know, we could talk about pride. And we could talk about some other things. But, but I really just think this is a case of, of Asa's getting older and getting tired. He's been fighting for a long time. He's been fighting idolatry. He's been trying to lead these people. Sometimes they seem like they won't be led. Sometimes we just get tired. And when we get tired, we tend to lose our edge, lose our focus, lose our passion. It just seems to fade with all of our energy. I don't know where you fit on that list, but I would suspect that all of us struggle with our enthusiasm for probably... All of those reasons at different times. But I began by asking the question, how hungry are you? And what are you hungry for? Where is your passion and your enthusiasm? Where is your hunger? What I want to do for the last couple of minutes here is talk about things that you and I need to stay hungry for. I want to give you three And I'm going to put these passages on the board, and I just want you to think about your level of hunger in these areas. First of all, I want to encourage us to stay hungry for study. This is the statement that is made about the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, 
examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see the passion? I find the passion contained in this word. My translation has eagerness. What a great word. They received the word with eagerness. They wanted it. They were ready for it. And then they were ready to go check it out. They went and searched the scriptures daily, examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And he says that's what made them more noble than the ones in Thessalonica who didn't give Paul a hearing at all. These are people who are hungry. They want to hear from God. The Berean spirit is the spirit that says it is a blessing to be able to hear from God. I get to know the mind of God. That is a privilege. And I am excited by it. I want to learn more. I want to grow in this. I want to connect with God through his word. Every time we meet, every time we open the Bible, we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to live it. We are hungry for it. Stay hungry for study. We don't have to lose that spirit. Now, I know that there is probably a time in your life that you look back and you can say, man, I was really on fire then. And I am saying, stay on fire for study. I love this about Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.13, which if you know anything about 2 Timothy, you know that's the last thing Paul wrote that we have. And Paul writes in this last chapter, as he says, you know, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm about to die. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He says, when you come, talking to Timothy, when you come visit me here in Roman custody, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Here's old Paul. He knows he's about to die. You know what he wants? I got some things to read, and I got some things to write. Paul's not done. Paul hasn't grown cold and tired. He doesn't say, oh, what's the point? I'll never get out of here. He's got work to do. He's hungry for it, even at the end. We don't have to lose that spirit. We can stay hungry, but it will require our choice and our effort. Stay hungry for study. Stay hungry for growth. Stay hungry for growth. This is 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Keep growing. Peter says, 2 Peter 1.8, if these qualities, remember that list of qualities, add your faith, all these things, add your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Increasing, increasing. You know, when we come to Christ, when we first come, we have this feel that we know some things are going to have to change. And so when I deal with new new converts, there is always that conversation. You know, what needs to happen? What needs to be fixed? And people will, usually they know. we, We know what needs to fix. We know that we need to quit cussing. And we know that we need to change our relationship to the opposite sex in some ways. Maybe there are relationships we even need to break off. We know we need to quit being so angry all the time and learn how to control ourselves. But you know, something happens after that initial burst, and we try to make some of those changes, that, that we kind of we settle in. This is just kind of who we are. And what we find is, you know, I can kind of have some rough edges, and my brethren still accept me. You know, nobody's kicking me out of the church. You know, somebody might say, hey, you need to do this, you need to work on this. But the truth is, 
we just sort of lose our hunger for growth. And if there are areas that we need to change and move forward in, we just don't seem to care anymore. There just reaches a point where we're not hungry for it. God wants us to keep growing. He wants us to grow into being teachers. He mentions that specifically. He wants us to graduate from milk to meat, where we can understand the word better and more deeply. He wants us to fill in the gaps in our character. In fact, sometimes he provides experiences that are going to force us to do that. He wants us to bear the fruit of the Spirit so that we become more like Jesus. And that means we're going to have to stay hungry to improve and not grow complacent with where we are. That is, we have to have the ability to look back and say, yes, I have grown, and I'm thankful for that growth because that's a gift from God, and yet I'm not done growing. It also means I'm going to have to be open to the possibility that I am wrong where I am right now, that I need to change something about who I am or how I think or what someone else sees in me. So, stay hungry. Think about areas in your life that need improvement. Let me give you just a scattershot list here. You ready? Listen for yourself in one of these. Anger, pride, kindness, joy, encouragement, self-control, giving, positivity, forgiveness, speech, Authenticity, addiction, what hits you? I'm thinking particularly about areas that you know. Something needs to give here, but maybe we've gotten so used to that as a part of our character that we just kind of accept it. That's just who I am. That's just the way I am. That's just what I do. Stay hungry to grow. When we came to Christ, we would never have that attitude. Oh, no, that's just the way I am, Jesus. Sorry. But we must maintain it. Stay hungry to grow. And the last thing I want to say is stay hungry for growing closer to God. Jesus says a couple of things about this. Luke 13, verse 24, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Very interesting verse, Luke 13, 24, because he contrasts striving and seeking. That striving has this intensity to it. That the people who are going to enter the narrow door will be the people who are hungry for it who are passionate for it, who want to go to where God is. But there are people who will seek to enter, which is a weaker word, and will not be able. It is about hunger, a hunger to draw near to God. Paul says this, Philippians 3 and verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, what I want most is to know Jesus and to be with Jesus. And so, that requires that I admit I have not already obtained it. I am not already perfect. Instead, I push with a hunger and intensity. And you can hear it in what Paul writes. He says, this is my passion. This is my drive. This is where I'm headed. Paul did not reach a point where he said, you know what? I'm close enough. I'm pretty much good. I'm just going to wait it out. No, I press on. I keep going forward. That's Paul's hunger. 
we sing songs like, Nearer, still nearer, nearer my God to thee. Those are not sentiments we outgrow. Stay hungry. That passion that you felt when you began to learn about God, when you realized that God loved you and cared about you and was willing to forgive the sins that you had committed. Stay hungry. God is waiting for you to draw closer to him. Stay hungry for study. Stay hungry for growth. Stay hungry for growing closer to God. Now, lest somebody misunderstand, I just want to say this clearly. I'm not saying that any of our hunger or the things that we do makes our spiritual life or our salvation our doing. But I am saying that we do have to gladly receive the word. I am saying we can grow cold, as Jesus says. We do have a choice. And I really want to remind all of us that staying hungry or getting tired and stale, that's a choice we have. And we can choose a better direction. In many ways, it appears to me to be kind of like a marriage. Every day in a marriage, we're either growing closer together or more distant. We're either growing stronger or we're growing weaker. And we, the, the key to a marriage is a close-knit intensity and focus on our mate. The more intense and the more hungry we are to please our mate, the stronger the marriage will be. When we put our whole heart into our marriage into pleasing our mate, into serving and giving, things look different. We grow closer. And when we put our whole heart into our relationship with God, things look different. I want to close by looking at an example, one last one. In Joshua chapter 14, this is a man who stayed hungry. This is an awesome story. Joshua chapter 14. Of course, Joshua is the account of how Israel goes into the land of Canaan. And as Israel is conquering the land and dividing up the territory, you have this request from an old warrior in the faith, Joshua 14 and verse 6. It says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Is that not an awesome story? Here is Caleb. Caleb says, hey, I remember I was there. I was 40 years old back then. 45 years ago, we went into land. It was an awesome land. I came back and told everybody, but the people complained and the other spies gave a bad report. And we've been wandering around, been wandering for 45 years for something that was not even my fault. And yet here he is, 85 years old. Is he bitter? 
doesn't sound bitter to me. Is he tired? I suspect probably physically tired, right? Did he give up? Quit following the Lord? Frustrated? This man is hungry. He knows God's going to fulfill his promises. He's been waiting for 45 years. He's not giving up. And he's ready to go physically fight to conquer this land because he knows the Lord is with him. It's pretty awesome to say that I, for 45 years, have just trusted and waited on the Lord. And I haven't slipped. I haven't lost my hunger. Caleb stayed hungry. Let's be like Caleb. Particularly, I want to challenge you. We tend to get into ruts, don't we? We get complacent. We lose our focus. We get distracted. We get tired. Sometimes we get proud. Now is the time to reapply ourselves to the things we know that are good. Things we know that are going to make us into better people and are going to draw us closer to God and please God. It might be that you're not a Christian. We began by saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus promises and holds out a new way of life that will truly satisfy, that will truly give you blessings now and for the life to come. And if you're ready to take that and to seek a new way of living, a new kind of righteousness that will transform your life, turning away from your sins, being baptized into Christ, having those sins washed away, if you're ready to take that step, there's any need that we can help you with, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.